Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. And as a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, Mary, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop, Money Matters, Binding Resources to Manage Cancer Treatment Costs. I know this is a very critically important issue for all of you on the call today, and we have a wonderful faculty to address your questions. Now, today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, and it really is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. We have on the call today over 887 participants on the call, and you come from all of the United States. You come from uh, large cities and small cities, from rural areas and frontier communities, and we also have international participants from Canada, China, India, Korea, South Africa, Syria, and the United Kingdom. So you really come from all over the world, and it is a credit to you that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us. Now, I'd like to turn your attention for a moment to all the materials that you received from Cancer Care. In those materials, there's an outline our speakers have prepared, and there also is information about all of the different collaborating organizations as resources to you. And of course, there's an evaluation form, and we ask you to take a moment and complete the evaluation form. You are the best people to tell us what we should be doing, um, the programs that would be most helpful to you, so please let us know what you need. Indeed, this topic was one that unanimously many of you asked us to offer this workshop, um, and we will try very hard to implement your recommendations. Today's program was made possible through an educational grant from Pfizer Oncology, and I really want to thank them for their support of our program today. Now, we have wonderful speakers, and I want to start by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Edith Mitchell. Dr. Mitchell is Clinical Professor of Medicine and Medical Oncology, Department of Medical Oncology. She is Associate Director of Diversity Programs, Kimmel Cancer Center, Thomas Jefferson University. Uh, Dr. Mitchell is a frequent presenter on our programs, and Dr. Mitchell is going to address medication costs and adherence and the importance of taking your pills on schedule. Dr. Mitchell? Dr. Messner, thank you so much for the opportunity to discuss uh, another topic, um, and thanks to all of our listeners for joining us this evening. Uh, cancer care in the United States, as well as other countries, is so important. And many people think that just because you're getting a certain medicine, that that is the end of it, and that's all that is uh, included. But that is not true. Uh, cancer care is very important, and the cancer care and a prescription for a patient is based on a number of factors and a number of evaluations that the doctor and the provider team go through in order to decide the correct medicine and the correct dose. Now, the correct dose of medication for each patient also is different. And the doses of medications could include uh, information from the doctor, information from the pharmacist, information from the nurse, as well as a number of other individuals to help the patient get the right dose, the right amount, 
at the right time. Now, this medication prescription is based on a number of factors, including the type of cancer and the patient, but also the patient's body weight. Uh, and this may be determined by a number of factors, including what some people may hear called the BSA or body surface area, but that is just dependent on the patient's weight and height. Other factors that are included in deriving and finding the correct dose for the patient, uh, in addition to weight, the patient's liver function, uh, the patient's kidney function, as well as other medications that the patient may be taking at the same time, perhaps for other conditions such as heart disease or uh, lung disease and so forth. So everything affecting the patient is entered into this prescription plan. And it means that the patient also has to work with the doctor and the nurse and the pharmacist as a team to make sure that the patient gets the right dose at the right time. Now, speaking of time, once a prescription is written, the doctor may tell the patient, take the medication on an empty stomach or take the medication one hour after meals or sometimes to avoid certain foods, for example, avoiding grapefruit juice with a number of medications. So it's very important to make sure that the medication is taken at the right time and with the right circumstances, whether on an empty stomach or one hour after meals, etc. So taking the medication exactly as prescribed on the right schedule. Now, all of us are human, and sometimes patients forget to take the medication or might skip a dose, uh, but don't just automatically make up for a dose that might have been missed or forgotten. Always ask the doctor, if I miss a dose, what do I do about that dose that is missed? For some medications, you can take two doses the next time. For other medications, we might just simply skip that missed dose. But it's very important, therefore, to take the, not only the right dose, uh, but the right dose at the right time and under the right circumstances. And that brings us to the cost of medications. Some medications are very expensive and the average person or even the patient, the person with a lot of money might not be able to afford the medications if they are not covered by insurance or not provided through another source. So it's very important to let the healthcare team know about any insurance coverage uh, that you might have so that they can help with the correct billing they can help with getting the correct information so that uh, the cost factor uh, becomes less um, of importance for the patient. The healthcare team can work with this. Also, if uh, there is not insurance coverage for a medication, then the healthcare team can work with other volunteer organizations, such as cancer care 
because there are many opportunities for obtaining medications for patients who don't have insurance coverage or who don't um, have the um, resources to purchase the medications on their own. So you'll hear more about this tonight. It's very important to openly communicate with the provider team so that we may use all of our information with social workers, with volunteer organizations, with getting the right information to the insurance companies so that we provide the patient with the medications that therefore can be taken at the right time. And it's very important for the patient and the patient's family to help the patient with taking the correct medications, taking these medications at the correct time and under the correct circumstances. And remember very carefully, if the doctor uh, prescribes the medication to be taken on an empty stomach, make sure that the medication is taken exactly like it is prescribed. And with these efforts, with the provider and the healthcare team giving the patients the right medications, the patient taking the medications as prescribed, and everyone having all of the information so that the provider team can work with the insurance company or volunteer organizations or others to help with the cost of medications at this time. Uh, with the new health care plan that, the, that President Obama and others have uh, worked on and that we expect to be initiated in the United States in uh, the next few years, hopefully the cost of medicine will be less important for some patients, but always remember medicines do cost. We do have multiple ways of providing medications to patients, and it's so important for the patient and the nurses, doctors, pharmacists, and others to work as one team to make sure that the patient gets the right medication for the right condition and takes the medications properly and as prescribed. So thank you so much. I hope you will enjoy this conference tonight. It is so important. Thank you very much, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you, Dr. Always. Master for just doing such a wonderful presentation. And really, um, Dr. I should say Dr. Mitchell is actually at a meeting in, um, in Spain, and so it's evening there. It's daytime. It's different time zones, of course. We are all in these different time zones. So I want to thank Dr. Mitchell for joining the call today and for really uh, providing this context um, for how important it is to, to really adhere to your medication schedule. And our, um, <clears throat> our next speaker is actually Dr. Um, Lupe Palos. And Dr. Uh, Dr. Guadalupe Palos is basically, she's an, a nurse, she's a social worker and a doctor of public health, and she's clinical research manager at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, Division of Medical Affairs, Department of Cancer Survivorship. And Dr. Palos is going to address the role of the interdisciplinary healthcare team. And many of us say that Dr. Palos herself represents a good portion of that team. I'm going to turn the program over to Dr. Palos. Thank you, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to be involved in the discussion of such an important topic. 
finding resources to manage cancer treatment. Unfortunately, many of you listening on our call today have experienced some of the situations where money does make a difference. Money does impact a patient cancer's experience, and those costs are often high and can become higher over the course of one's treatment. And as Dr. Mitchell discussed, the cost of the medications or taking the right medications at the right time will affect a patient's outcomes. So, Yes, the financial aspect of cancer will affect us all on this call today, the patients, the families, and the healthcare providers. Why? Because at one time or another, any one of us has wondered, how am I going to pay for all of these treatments, medications, transportation, and all the other costs? How do I cover those expenses? The costs associated with cancer increase rapidly and often contribute to stress in the patient and in their families. However, remember money is not the only type of resource that can affect a patient's treatment. Another source is limited resources. of limited resources may be the lack of a social support system to assist the patient throughout their cancer experience. Studies have shown that patients with greater support and larger networks of people to help them will do much better in their outcome. Despite the challenges associated with money matters or limited resources, I want to remind you um, listeners, that you don't have to fi face those struggles alone. Patients, their caregivers, and families can turn to the healthcare team for support, education, and information. In many of our cancer clinics, a patient has a team of providers representing various disciplines that have a key role in delivering optimal cancer care. In the healthcare system, these teams often have different names. Some of you may be familiar with terms such as integrated team, multidisciplinary team, and interdisciplinary team. In our discussion today, we're using the term interdisciplinary team. And we are asking the question of how can an interdisciplinary team help patients and their family deal with the financial challenges or limited resources? Well, most likely our healthcare providers are not going to provide the elusive money tree we all have heard about or help us find hidden treasures. An interdisciplinary team, however, can help facilitate communication among the members. They can provide support by listening to you or your caregiver. And most important, they can provide referrals to different resources, such as those uh, that will be discussed later in this call. When I hear the words interdisciplinary team, I think of a puzzle. Those that have a thousand pieces in a box, and in that box there are hundreds of pieces, but each one has their own unique shape, purpose, and position. And once all those pieces are fitted together, they form a final picture. Yet each one continues to have their unique shape, purpose, and position. The interdisciplinary team is much like that puzzle. During your cancer experience, different providers will care for you, either on a short-term basis, such as the surgical team, or on a long-term basis, such as your primary oncologist. Other members of the team, such as the nurses, social workers, financial counselors, and a dozen more will follow a similar path. And remember, you may not even see or meet some of these team members. The beauty of the interdisciplinary team is that each provider provides their own unique knowledge, skills, expertise, and perspective to provide opt optimal care for a person diagnosed with cancer, including their families. In my last moments, I'd like to share a brief story with you that may help answer the question of how can an interdisciplinary team help a patient and their family deal with the financial challenges. One day in our oncology clinic, a patient diagnosed with breast cancer came out of a clinic room holding a prescription in each hand. She walked up to me and said, Dr. Paulos, my doctor gave me two prescriptions, one for my pain and one for my cancer. I have a $15 copay on every prescription I get. Today I only have $20 with me. Which 
one do you think I should get, the one to fight my pain or the one to fight my cancer? I stood there for a second realizing the financial burden that this patient was facing and that both prescriptions were essential to her care. I explained the situation to the clinic nurse who informed the patient's physician. The physician provided a referral to the social services. The oncology social worker met us in the clinic and got more information from the patient. She asked the patient to follow her to the office. They then contacted the financial counselor who spoke with the patient. The financial counselor reassessed the patient's insurance plan, and he came up with a, plan, a, a contingency plan. He called the pharmacy to inform them of the change in her payment plan. The patient filled both prescriptions at the pharmacy and had enough left over to cover her transportation back home. In this situation, each team member used the skills, knowledge, and experience linked to their professional discipline. The clinic nurse who knew the clinic had a social had a social worker communicated that problem to the social worker and a possible solution to the patient's primary oncologist. The oncologist, in turn, made the referral to the social worker. She took the time to listen to her colleague and to make that referral. The social worker came in with her unique set of skills and knowledge of resources available within the hospital and initiated contact with the appropriate resource. The financial counselor worked with the social worker and the patient to review the financial status and negotiate a plan so that the patient could receive both medications. He also contacted the pharmacy so, a patient, so the patient would not have to explain everything to the pharmacy staff. And the patient was able to fight her pain and her cancer by taking her medication as prescribed. Yes, this situation may have had a happy ending, and I recognize that many times other situations do not have happy endings. The takeaway message in this story is to recognize how each team member brought their own skill set, knowledge, and discipline to help this patient. All the providers came together as a team to assist this woman by linking their resources together to develop a plan. So I'll conclude by reminding our callers to communicate with your providers. Do not hold back. Sometimes people feel uncomfortable discussing money matters. Your providers understand that and work with you in making financial plans. Do not think the provider doesn't have the time to get involved in financial matters. Their goal is to provide optimal cancer care, as Dr. Mitchell informed us earlier. And they know that money matters may interfere with that goal. And most important, do not feel that you're alone and that no one can help. Remember there are resources such as Cancer Care and others that provide excellent information and resources regarding the cost of care. And my colleagues Michelle and Deborah will discuss, and Jane will discuss those resources in greater detail during their presentations. Thank you for your time. That concludes my remarks. Thank you very much, Dr. Dr. Palos. So just a very um, heartwarming and a, and a very compassionate presentation and really highlighting how important um, really talking with all the different members of the team in getting help often with um, financial concerns and all concerns. So thank you very much. Um, our next speaker is Jane Levy. And Jane Levy is an oncology social worker. She's director of patient assistance programs at Cancer Care. And Jane is going to address how to manage the costs of cancer, financial resources available, and linking you to needed resources. It's my pleasure to turn the program over to my colleague, Jane Levy. Hello, everybody. I'm Jane Levy, Director of Patient Assistance Programs at Cancer Care. And I know that this is a topic of interest for all of you. Cancer, as we've all noted, is an expensive illness, and financial concerns are pervasive, as well as a significant source of stress for patients and families. However, having an open, communication, having an open conversation about money and the cost of cancer can help you become better informed about your options, and you may be able to reduce the financial impact of your illness. 
When patients and families talk about the cost of cancer, um, they actually fall into about three areas of financial concern. The first is what I would call direct medical expenses. Those are your hospital and doctor bills, cancer drugs and other medications, and medical co-pays. And then, of course, there were all those related expenses, many of which are not covered by insurance. They are transportation, gas, parking, uh, public transportation, home care, child care, medical supplies, over-the-counter medications, lodging if you have to stay away, food supplements, and, of course, the cost of insurance themselves. And then in cancer care, we get many calls for people uh, seeking help with daily living expenses, things like rent, mortgage, food, utilities, and taxes loom when there is illness in the family. So I will try to address these three areas and where you may get help. When it comes to managing medical expenses, as the, our former speakers have said, it pays to be informed and upfront. My first tip would be to get a good understanding of your insurance policy so you are not blindsided by charges. You may also ask your insurance company if they can assign you a case manager. Many of them do, and they can be quite helpful in helping you manage your treatment as well as your cost. I would suggest keeping a diary for expenses. This way you have something to refer back to, and maybe you can catch things like billing and coding errors. And above all, as we as just spoken about, talk to your health care team as soon as possible about your financial situation. The 2009 ASCO, the American Society of Clinical Oncology, publication on the cost of cancer made speaking to your oncologist and healthcare team about financial concerns no longer a taboo subject. Physicians and healthcare providers are more sensitive to the cost and they can connect you to people who know about resources, just as Dr. Paolo said, social workers, financial coordinators, discharge planners, and resource specialists. These people, in turn, can direct you to organizations and entitlement programs, things like copay assistance, pharmaceutical support, applications for transportation help, social security disability, new options for health care for people with pre-existing conditions, just to name a few. And my other tip would be it is important not to delay when applying for any entitlement or benefit as they can take time to process. And if medical bills threaten to overwhelm you, the experts recommend that you speak up immediately because many settings may offer you a payment plan, they may indeed cut the charges, or they may indeed have special funding that you, uh, to help you cover some of your costs. By all means, and I've read this over and over, do not ignore bills once they come in because if they go into collections, they are harder to resolve. Now, I know this sounds like a tall order when you are sick, but there are ongoing organizations, both private and nonprofit, that can help you negotiate your medical bills. The Patient Advocate Foundation, they're on your list of resources for one, can assign you an advocate, or there are organizations where you can hire a medical billing specialist. There are also uh, resources that we've, we've alluded to to help you pay for your cancer medications. 
aside from copay assistance, will be, which will be discussed next, the pharmaceutical industry also provides free product for uninsured and underinsured patients, as well as reimbursement specialists who can help you, with, who can work with your insurance company to help you access the medicines you need. Pfizer, for example, has such a program entitled Helpful Answers. If you look quickly at your resource list that you have that came in your packet, you will see a very excellent organization called Needy Meds. It's a comprehensive website that has a listing of all state, corporate, and other reimbursement programs, as well as information about things like mail order, discount, or Internet pharmacies that may help you control your costs. Aside from getting help with your medical expenses, when it comes to living expenses, again, speak up and let your creditors know about your financial situation. You may be surprised by, by often the positive responses that patients and families can get from phone, utilities, and yes, even landlords and mortgage companies willing to work with you before a crisis develops. Also, many voluntary and government agencies Federal, state, local, and even county have uh, very often unique programs to help people, such things as emergency assistance, eviction protection programs, rent assistance, food programs, and property tax relief. Well, how would you find these programs? Again, some of them are listed on your resource list. They would include our CFAC website. CFAC uh, is a coalition of financial assistance organizations, uh, there were about 12 of us, and we came together to put together a searchable uh, website where you can search for financial resources by both disease type and zip code. The American Cancer Society maintains an extensive Cancer Resource Connect database that you can also search by zip code. And the Patient Advocate Foundation has a state-by-state -state financial resource database. Your local area agency for the aging, which you can find on the web, also has an elder care locator with a list of resources for people who are over 60 um, and resources that may include case management as well as financial assistance. The United Way, which is really an umbrella organization of local uh, social service agencies in many areas, not all, does have a 211 referral number in which you can be connected immediately to a resource specialist. You can perhaps find other uh, sources of financial aid, many of them through faith-based or family service organizations such as Catholic Charities that often offer case management, entitlement help, and sometimes financial assistance. All these resources that I've mentioned can also help you with such related expenses that we know that are important, such as transportation, lodging, equipment, organizations like Cancer Care, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, some divisions of the American Cancer Society also offer travel help or referrals to organizations that do. I'm also going to recommend another website. It's not on your list, but it's called SurvivorshipAtoZ.org, one word, SurvivorshipAtoZ.org, which is really an excellent resource for people with cancer and other chronic diseases on other aspects of financial planning, too detailed to discuss here. I, I, I um, suggest that everybody take a look.
And to sum up and in conclusion, there are resources out there that may address many aspects of financial concerns. So get informed, get organized, speak up, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Thank you. That concludes my remarks. Well, thank you very much, Jane, for that really very enthusiastic and very excellent and comprehensive presentation, almost encyclopedic in terms of all the different resources that are available for people to really actually speak up and get that help. So thank you very much for being so comprehensive. Thank you. Our next speaker is Michelle McCourt. Michelle is Director, Cancer Care Copayment Assistance Foundation at Cancer Care. And Michelle is going to address how to access copayment assistance programs. I now turn the program over to Michelle. Thank you, Carolyn. Good afternoon, everyone. My topic for today is how to access copayment assistance programs. I thought I would give a brief history on why there are copayment assistance programs, why they exist. When the shift in costs for healthcare changed with higher deductibles, lower caps, higher copays and coinsurance, as well as adding a prescription drug plan to Medicare, more and more patients were finding it difficult to afford their out-of-pocket costs for prescription drugs. Many patients were not taking their medications properly or just not feeling, filling their prescriptions at all. Copayment Assistance Foundations began to appear to assist patients by providing a resource for these out-of-pocket expenses. There are approximately seven Copayment Assistance Foundations. Uh, these foundations are administered by independent, not-for-profit organizations or charities. Most foundations have their own Office of Inspector General Opinion, also referred to as an OIG opinion. These opinions are necessary to be able to obtain funding for these programs since the funds are generally donated by the pharmaceutical industry. The Office of Inspector General has rules and regulations on how a pharmaceutical company can assist patients with those when those patients are receiving Medicare benefits. A donor can make a donation to a charity that has a disease fund in which the donor has a pharmaceutical product indicated for that disease. The donor will have no say in the process or the administration of the program. I'm going to speak specifically about Cancer Care's Copayment Assistance Foundation. Most other foundations are very similar in structure, but each have their own criteria and procedures. Our foundation has a set financial eligibility criteria. Currently, the criteria is set at, at or below 400% of the federal poverty level. This is based on the annual gross household income and the number of people in the household. To comply with the application process, the income has to be supported by documentation. Since the foundation is disease-specific, the patient's medical condition or diagnosis needs to be verified by the treating physician. Once approved, we will establish a third-party relationship with the pharmacy or infusion provider you choose to arrange for direct billing for ease of access for the patient. Typically, assistance is awarded up to a certain dollar amount and for a period of one year. If need be and if funding is still available, patients are given the option to reapply. There are many ways to find out about these patient assistance programs or copayment assistance programs. Internet searches. Most medications have their own website. These, these sites are very helpful when looking for reimbursement resources or patient assistance programs. There are also websites like needymeds.org or the CFAC website that Jane Levy mentioned earlier that serve as a resource for financial assistance programs. These websites provide information or links to free drug programs, pharmaceutical assistance programs, discount cards, and copayment assistance programs. Advocacy groups, 
such as cancer care that provide resources to patients and their families seeking financial assistance is another great resource to find out about these programs. Your doctor's office. There, there may be a financial counselor or social worker on staff who can help you find resources for copayment assistance programs. Um, the earlier speaker, Dr. Palos, had talked about um, her story and how you know, there was a happy ending to that specific situation. Um, the other resource or way to find out about these programs is through the pharmacy. There are specialty pharmacies um, now because most expensive medications are now cl classified as specialty. And once the prescription is written, it will be sent directly to a specialty pharmacy provider. The specialty pharmacy will do a benefits investigation or prior authorization to find out what amount the patient is responsible for. Once they contact the patient to set up delivery and get payment, this is usually when the patient will express that there is a financial hardship and the pharmacy will refer the patient to an assistance program. Recently, a patient assistance portal called Patient Assistance Link was developed to provide a website with access and information for patients, providers, and advocates on the various foundations that have funding. You can go to this portal, plug in your specific information, the type of funding you are looking for, and if a program exists, the system will return results on the various programs that are available. Once you choose a program, the system will send the information, send your information directly to the foundation. <coughs> Excuse me. The foundation will then get in touch with you about the next steps. The portal's website is patientassistancelink.org. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Michelle. And I have to say that Michelle has really been uh, responsible in many ways for the development of our Cancer Care Copayment Assistance Program, which is a very robust program. And if you are having copayment assistance issues or problems, it's a wonderful resource for all of you to be aware of. Um, so thank you. And our next speaker is Deborah Wolf. Deborah is an attorney, and she's a senior attorney with Legal Health, New York Legal Assistance Group, NILAC. And Deborah is going to talk about what to do when your claims are denied and the appeals process. And it's my pleasure to turn this program over to Deborah, who just spoke recently at a conference on Saturday that we had. So I'm happy to have you on this program as well, Deborah. Thank you. Thank you, Carolyn. And I'm very happy to be a part of this workshop to talk about what to do when your insurance claims are denied and to give an overview of the appeals process. Um, you, we've received some good tips today from all the speakers, but of course there are times when claims are denied for a variety of reasons. As a start, it's important to know that there are different types of insurance policies. For example, group policies from employment, union benefits, privately purchased policies, as well as government insurance, including Medicaid and Medicare. The rules vary depending on the type of policy or plan that somebody has. And also state laws may apply. So your rights may vary depending on where you live. So this will be very general advice that re will relate to everybody. And um, I want to start by repeating something that Jane mentioned when she spoke, which is one of the most important things we all can do is make sure that we have and read a copy of our insurance policy or a summary description of our policy. 
This will outline our benefits, the appeals process, and any coverage limits that the policy may impose. With the new health care law, there's no longer monetary caps on benefits, but there may be other limitations in, in a policy, and it's important that we understand exactly what our, our insurance policy offers. When a claim is denied, your insurance company is required to provide what's called an explanation of benefit or what we usually refer to as an EOB. The EOB outlines the amount that the insurance company paid, your required contribution, which can be the copay or a percentage that you're required to pay, and if the insurance company is refusing to pay, the reasons for the denial. The insurance companies will often also issue a more complete denial letter, and I urge everyone to read these carefully to be sure that you understand why coverage was denied. If there's any part of the reason for denial or the appeals process you don't understand, make a phone call and ask your insurance representative to explain it to you. They're often very willing to help you understand your policy and you know what's what's going on with your claims. But also make sure you keep track of every call or every letter that you've sent, writing down the date and the person you spoke to in the insur within the insurance company, so that if you have to call back a number of times, you can let them know who you spoke to and when you last called. When a claim is denied, a first step should be to call the insurance company right away to discuss before you do anything else. Claims are sometimes denied for administrative reasons that are very easy to fix. For example, the doctor wrote down the wrong code or somebody put in the incorrect policy number. Um, oftentimes when claims are denied for failure to obtain pre-authorization, the insurance companies will work with us and, and you can ask them what they need from you to approve the claim and they often will tell you what they need to give you a retroactive recertification of the claim. So it's always best to call first to see if there's a quick and easy way to resolve this um, directly with your insurance company. If this is not the case, then you will need to file a written appeal directly to the insurance company that denied the claim, and this is called an administrative review. With most policies, this is required before filing a lawsuit, and if a person tries to go to court without doing this, the claim will have to be dismissed. Most states have managed care bill of rights which address grievance procedures, so it's also important to check with your state insurance department to understand all of your rights as well as your insurance company's responsibilities within your state. Now with most policies, and a lot of people aren't aware of this, you have the right to request a full copy of your insurance file prior to submitting your appeal. This will allow you to see exactly how they reached their decision in denying the claim, including any notes that were made by the case handler, any reports by the insurance company doctor who reviewed your case. So for example, you want to make sure that the insurance doctor who reviewed your claim is a specialist in oncology, not another medical field such as, say, cardiology or even pediatrics because that does happen. And I recommend that, that everybody do this and try and get a copy of their file, except in cases that have time concerns. Um, in which case we may not have the time to wait to get a copy of the file. 
in the written appeal, you should document the reason why you disagree with the insurance company and include medical exhibits and always try to include a letter from your treating doctor. I often ask the treating doctor to read the denial letter and respond in writing and will include that in the appeal. Um, if you do file an appeal and it's denied, many insurance companies offer two levels of appeal. And I suggest that, that we take as many opportunities as we can to try and appeal directly to the insurance company and submit as much information as possible. It's also important to check with your state insurance department to find out if you have access to what's called an external or independent review and how that can be initiated. Many states, including New York, where I practice, offer an external review by the insurance department. The benefit here is that the examiner is neutral and objective and doesn't work for the insurance company. In New York, over 50% of denials are overturned at this level, and the external reviews can be expedited if there's a concern about medical necessity. It's finally, it's very important to make sure that you understand your time limits to file the appeal. These are very strict deadlines. If it's a policy that somebody has through their job, the deadline is 180 days, which is somewhat generous. But other plans, it's set forth in the policy. And remember that your insurance policy is a contract, meaning you must adhere to the rules that are laid out in this contract, and um, you will be bound to them. The good news is that around half of all denied claims that are appealed to the top levels are um, finally allowed coverage, and the percentage for external reviews to a state insurance department is even higher. So if you draw on all the resources that are available to you and have adequate medical support from your doctor, you do stand a good chance of having your claim paid. I want to briefly also mention Medicaid and Medicare, which are governed by federal or state law, but um, again, a person, when a claim is denied, is entitled to either a written appeal or a fair hearing, depending on state law. Um, if a, a claim is denied by Medicaid or Medicare, you should receive a notice telling you what your appeal rights are. And again, make sure you understand the reason for deni the denial and present your arguments clearly. Medicare Parts A, B, and D have different procedures for appealing and are also different depending on whether a person is in straight Medicare or in one of the Medicare Advantage plans. The same is true with Medicaid. So it's just important that you understand understand the process, and more important, that you recognize any time limits that you have to appeal and, and make sure that anything that's filed is done so within um, the time limits. And with Medicaid and Medicare when appealed, I think even a higher percentage of these cases are reversed. So. Um, I'll conclude by saying, you know, if you're denied uh, or an insurance claim is denied, just make sure that you talk to an advocate or attorney or check with your state insurance department to understand all of your rights and all of the responsibilities of your insurance company and um, to, to be aware of any deadlines. And there, will is a good there is a good chance that if you follow through, eventually your insurance company will, will pay the claim. Thank you.
Well, thank you very much, Deborah, for just really helping people to understand how really important it is to appeal and that actually when one does appeal, um, it, it really has a, a specific impact in terms of often um, you, you can overturn something by appealing and that um, those statistics are very, very compelling to encourage everybody to definitely appeal and to appeal and have some advocate with you. And, uh, you know, I think that um, Deborah works for a pro bono law firm. Um, there are many throughout the country, the bar associations. There are many resources. Again, oncology social workers, your hospital team. There are many people who can help you when you appeal. So uh, be aware that you don't have to do this alone either. Well, we now have um, time for questions. Actually, we have lots of time for questions. I'm going to ask Mary to bring all of our speakers on board, and I'm going to ask her also to explain to everybody how to queue up for questions. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Now, bearing in mind that there are so many of you on the call, if we don't get to your question, please just call Cancer Care at the end of the call at 1-800-813-HOPE. And I'll repeat that number again um, so that you can actually uh, get help from our staff if we don't get to your question um, today. Um, Mary? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. For those of you on the web, you may submit your questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Adeline J. Hi, Dr. Mesna. Hi, Adeline. Well, Hi. good to have you on the call and good to have seen you on Saturday and your question. Yes. Thank you. Wonderful panel. Can Dr. Palo spell out the website? She said, I think I got facts, if you could spell it out for me. And also the lady, Deborah, I didn't get her last name, E-O-B. I'm sorry? Deborah Wolf? Yes. If she could um, say what E-O-B means, please. Okay. And Excellent. also I had an experience where I couldn't afford medication. It was out of pocket, and my doctor gave me the generic brand, which was um, less money. But people would have to talk with their own doctor about that. So an excellent tip also. Okay, well, this is a great question. I'm going to ask Jane to answer the first question about CPAC. I think Jane had mentioned that. So, Jane, do you want to comment on Yes, I will. Thank you, Adeline. Uh, again, CFAC is on your list of resources. It's the C Cancer Financial Assistance Coalition website, and it's www.cancerfac.org. Thank you. And... Um, Deborah, do you want to comment about EOB? Sure. The EOB is just the shortened name for the explanation of benefit, which is the form your insurance company is required to give you when they act on your claim. Whether they pay it or deny it, they're required to give you an explanation letting you know what they've, how they've processed your claim. So it's an explanation of benefit. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Palos, do you want to comment just on the concept of generic medications and, and um and that that sometimes is an option for people to be aware of, but they need to discuss it with their healthcare team. Surely. There are, uh, generally, when a, a medication is prescribed, the doctor may fill that, uh, out that prescription by giving the name of, of the medication for, uh, or give the generic name, and, or depending on, on how they want to write it out. But when you go to your pharmacy, now what they're finding out is that the generic uh, medications are uh, just as effective as the name brand type of, of uh, medications, so, but they're less costly. The others may be more expensive. So when you, you speak to your doctor, always make it a point to ask, is this a generic pres a prescription for a generic medication or for a regular one? And they say, oh, it's the regular one, and then ask, is it possible to get a generic prescription? So um, 
Keep in mind, though, that not all of the medications have a generic um, product uh, available, so it's best for you to sit down and speak with your doctor and, and ask, their, um, ask them to give you information about the particular medication. And uh, you make an excellent point. And if for some reason there isn't an, a, a, a um, comparable generic medication involved, let your doctor know that you're really having trouble affording that other medication and you need help from the team. And that would actually with all of Dr. Lufe had said earlier, Dr. Palos had said earlier about just involving that whole healthcare team and helping you to figure out how to get the medicines you need. Um, very important. Okay, our next question. Our next question comes from Barbara B. Good afternoon to all of you, and I thank you very much for this conversation. Greatly, 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 significantly important. I am stage four with chronic lymphocytic leukemia, small lymphatic leukemia, and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I'm now going to be starting the process for stem cell transplant, and my initial concern is, oops, what do I do? Um, I did contact the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, and yes, I did contact Cancer Care, getting some basic information. They, in turn, transferred me to the stem cell transplant coordination in Minneapolis. But my concern is now, what am I supposed to do with my Medicare, my supplement, and all the cost for what's going to be going on? I don't have any caregivers, and from what I've read, I'm concerned as to the concern for caregivers, my concern for the stay in the hospital, and the other costs. These are excellent. Actually, Barbara, you raise a lot of excellent points. One thing I will say is I'd love to have, I'd love to talk to you after the call, first of all, because I want to be sure you get connected to one of our social work staff here to walk you through it. Because what you're saying is that you're going to be your own caregiver. There isn't anyone to help you with this. And I'm going to ask our other speakers to just comment on, in general, because of course, and then you and I can talk more specifically about your specific situation, about how you do put all these resources together and work with someone to help you really coordinate a plan. And I'm going to ask Jane if you could start with that. Uh, yes, uh, I assume uh, Barbara, right? Yeah, Barbara, yes. Barbara, that you're working with some, um, a member of your health care team regarding the transplant? Yeah. Um, there are, uh, again, uh, out of Minneapolis, the National Marrow Donor Program uh, has a very interesting sort of financial assistance tool and people there to talk to about these things and help, you know, with travel assistance. So I would recommend that you, that you give them a call. Excellent. And Dr. Palos, do you want to add anything? Yes, I do. I'd like to address the issue about not having um, any caregivers and, or having any type of social uh, support network available. I want to remind you that um, you don't always have to turn to a family member to try to uh, find a caregiver. I've had uh, many patients who have also been alone and, and gone, you know, starting to go through their experience. And so what we've done this a couple of ways. One, we've asked about um, are they affiliated with any Facebook faith-based organizations, because you'd be surprised how many um, programs have uh, ministry services, and so some of those ministry services are being caregivers for folks who have chronic diseases or need help going through um, that ordeal. The other is some of the, sometimes some of the volunteers in the hospital will have access to resources or know of resources in that local community um, that they would also be able to link you up with someone that would be able to help you. Um, 
with the type of treatment that you're going to receive, it's going to be essentially important to have someone there that you can depend on. So if you can start doing some homework now and just start kind of uh, speaking to different folks, your neighbors even, um, they may have access. I think that would start helping you in developing the foundation for a network that you'll need later on. And so what we're really recommending is you're really going to take this one step at a time and really, I think as uh, Dr. Palos has said, really it may be that we can help you to really cast a bit of a wider net. Um, and that's true for many people, um, that no one immediately comes to mind, but there may be a network that we can connect you with um, over time. So thank you for asking those excellent questions. I'll be calling you after the call, and um, excellent question. We have one question that um, one of our um, online uh, read participants has posted here. Um, and the question is, should patients who need assistance due to high drug costs seek assistance by diagnosis or by drug costs? What is the most efficient way to go about this? I'm going to ask Michelle if you would address that. Um, I would say it's, it's usually by diagnosis. So you want to find out first um, what funds are available based on your diagnosis. Um, as I mentioned, the funding um, that most of the foundations get is through the pharmaceutical companies and they can only donate to a disease specific fund. So um, especially if you're Medicare. If you're private insurance and you're having trouble with one medication, then you may uh, want to get in touch with the drug company directly or through um, some of those other websites we mentioned, needymeds.org, to see if, um, if there are other resources, you know, discount cards or other programs that can help commercially um, insured patients. Well, I want to thank all of our speakers. You've really been remarkable, just a, a, a remarkable team, and really a multidisciplinary team of speakers, and it really gives you a sense of, of course, how important that team is as you as yourself navigate, navigate these issues that, that the, the program is about in terms of getting the resources that you need to manage your cancer treatment costs. It takes a village, it takes a team to get that happening. Um, I also want to thank all of you who have queued up and asked such great questions, both on the telephone and online. And I also want to thank all of you who have been listening. And I do want to remind everyone that this is a one-hour education program, and that in planning a program like this, we recognize that you all have many needs that go far beyond the scope of a one-hour program. And so with that in mind, I do want to just remind all of you about all the services that you can access from Cancer Care. Um, at Cancer Care has a staff of 50 master's level trained oncology social workers, and we are here to provide a host of services, from practical and financial assistance. Um, we also, of course, have our co-payment assistance program. We also offer counseling or a chance to talk with one of our social workers about things that are troubling or of concern to you, which often can be money matters or practical issues or other issues as well, or how to take care of yourself when you don't have another person that you, you can identify as a caregiver. And um, we also run a number of different support groups. Um, we run them over the telephone online. We have a, at the moment, we have 27 different online support groups and many, many telephone support groups. Um, and those groups are available, and many people prefer them just because they don't have to travel, and they're so accessible for everybody. We do have lots of these workshops that you're on today, and of course, we have lots of publications and fact sheets that are available for all of you. So most importantly, as we conclude our program today, I don't want anyone to feel that you're alone in coping with cancer, in coping with concerns about money matters, about finding resources to cope with your cancer financially and emotionally and socially. 
I want you to know that you're now part of the community of support. And Cancer Care is simply a telephone call away at 1-800-813-4673 or 1-800-813-HOPE. Or you can visit our website at www.cancercare.org. So I want to encourage all of you to take take advantage of our free resources and, as, and, and also the free resources of all of our partnering organizations. And I want to thank you all for um, participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all, and um, have, a, have a great day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may disconnect and have a wonderful day.